the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always an honor. Thank you. Today is Thursday, May 21st, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on May 21, 1927, Charles Lindbergh landed his Spirit of St. Louis monoplane near Paris, completed the first solo airplane flight across the Atlantic. It took him 33 and a half hours. You may be thinking, didn't Gary mention that yesterday? I did. He took off yesterday. He landed today, 1927. So what next time you're flying somewhere, if you ever do again, or any of us do, uh, and you think it's taken an awfully long time to get from Seattle to wherever, San Francisco or whatever, Lindbergh, it took him a whole lot longer to travel than it does us today. Today in 1542, Spanish explorer Hernando de Soto, De Soto. He died while searching for gold along the Mississippi River. I don't know if they've ever found gold along the Mississippi River or not. I haven't looked into that, but I've never heard that they have. But he thought there might be some there. Maybe there is. I don't know. Today in 1832, the Democrat Party held their first convention. And today in 1868, Ulysses S. Grant was nominated for president by the Republican National Convention that was held in Chicago that year. Today in 1881, Clara Barton founded the American Red Cross. Today in 1910, a year-old Jewish settlement near the port city of Jaffa adopted a new name, the name Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv in Hebrew means Hill of Spring. Today in 1972, Michelangelo's Pieta was on display at the Vatican. It was damaged by a guy who came running through there with a hammer He said, I'm Jesus Christ. Well, many will come in his name. This guy clearly was not. They caught him, but not before he did damage to the display. Ten years ago today, President Barack Obama directed the government, our government, to set the first ever mileage and pollution limits for big trucks and to tighten rules for future cars and SUVs. That was kind of his beginning, his coming out for the environmental crisis that we we are having today that we hear about so often. It's been a little pushed to the back, though, a little during the last few days and weeks, so perhaps that's a good thing. But they're working on it, believe me, and they will get us to a zero carbon at some point where we'll all live in teepees and we won't be able to build a fire to make our coffee because that, too, creates smoke. Citing overwhelming evidence... North Korea had sunk a South Korean warship. U.S. Secretary of State, today, 10 years ago, U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton, who would be president, she warned the reclusive communist state of consequences. There were no consequences, and she didn't get the presidency. That's sad for her. She's still living with that. In fact, she was talking to the press yesterday 
I noticed. And she was still explaining why she didn't win the 2016 election. It's very, very interesting. The 2016 election, certainly there was a lot going on behind the scenes that should have handed the election to her, but it didn't. For weeks, people across western Washington have been flocking to Snohomish, not because it's a beautiful little town, it is, but they've been going to the Stag Barbershop. I, I know I mentioned that yesterday, but I have to mention it again today. It's become a national kind of a symbol for all barbers everywhere or hairstylists or whatever. Yeah, this Bob Martin, he just keeps cutting hair up there, and people are lining up, man. They're driving from all over the place. Good for them. Como News is reporting this morning with warnings and notices from the county and state falling short. The Attorney General, Bob Ferguson, is now ordering this barber, this Marine, retired, is ordering him to cease and desist cutting hair. Yeah, he is. Not surprisingly, Bob Ferguson's been trying to make Baronel Stutzman go away, the florist down in, um, in Richland, because he doesn't agree with what she believes spiritually, biblically. So he's going after her, has for years. He nearly bankrupted her. Well, now he's going after this barber. Is he, I mean, what's he going to do? He says, well, he said there's going to be a punishment. So he sent this letter. Martin got it yesterday. In the letter, the AG's office outlines the numerous complaints it has received and past notices that have been handed down to him, Martin, the barber. It closes by reading, quote, this is your final warning. It notes that he must shut his doors in 48 hours or be subject to a lawsuit. Well, 48 hours from yesterday would be tomorrow. We'll see what happens. But we don't have to wait to see what happens because Martin didn't want to go on camera when Como News showed up out there. But he, he did say he's working with an attorney out of Texas that specializes in constitutional law. And I'm pretty sure I know who that would be. And he will fight the cease and desist order. He said, he told Como News, he said, this is actually the first time I've heard from the AG's office since defying the stay-at-home order. He said, the AG's office has already used the threat of a lawsuit under the state's consumer protection policies. He said, I'm not going to quit cutting here. Well, we'll see what happens. But a lot of people are following this story, not only in Washington State, but around the country. And they're doing so because there's just something that doesn't feel right about the attorney general of a state going into a barbershop that's got, what, three chairs, I think it is. I think he and two other guys are in there cutting hair. I mean, it just doesn't feel right. It feels like somewhere else at some other time. It feels like Germany or I don't know what. But it just goes against the God-given desire that we all have for freedom. And I know I know the argument. The argument is, well, you're going to infect all these people in Snohomish, and now they're driving from all over western Washington. You're going to infect all those if you get someone in there who happens to have the coronavirus. Honestly, we've lived with that for years. Not this virus, but others. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't take common sense measures and steps 
in this in this direction to help with sicknesses and illnesses and whether it's polio i remember polio was a huge deal when i was a kid i even knew some couple of people that had polio and and, i mean it was awful and finally we got a vaccine and you know it was great i mean we've been through this before but there's something about this event this event there there have been other viruses and things that have killed more people than this but something about this event that just feels ominous. It just doesn't feel right. And one of the reasons is you can almost depend on the fact that the far-left governors around the country are the ones who are pushing the limits over the line. They don't seem to care, or they seem to have, at least in the best case, a dual agenda, and in the worst case, an agenda that isn't even as it's being presented. There's a lot of Democrat uh, governors who are calling for the absolute separation of church and state now that they want the state to control the church. They do. Maine Governor Janet Mills, she's on a rampage. She's being sued now. There's a Calvary Chapel church, a large one in Bangor, Maine. It's one example Governor Mills prohibits all church gatherings, including drive-in church. She now says churches will not be able to reopen until she is satisfied with the metrics. So she's gauging when a church can assemble by her metrics, but she won't tell anybody what her metrics are. This is crazy. This is not the way America is or should be. So there's no way to know when Governor Mills will be satisfied. That's the way she wants it. That's the progressive way. It's progressive. I don't know. There are no absolute truths. So it's whatever I feel that the church can meet, then we'll allow the Church of Jesus Christ, I don't mean the Latter-day Saints, but the Church of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I will allow them to meet when I feel It's okay when my metrics are met. That's what she's saying. I'm not overstating this. Even after the metrics are reached, the churches will have to apply to reopen and will be chosen based on a checklist of requirements developed by the state. God has already given us a checklist about churches. He says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he has risen and you accept him as your Savior, then you are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. What does that have to do with some woman's metrics up in Maine or anywhere else? It doesn't. And that's what makes me nervous. I don't feel good about this, I'll tell you. I've been talking to pastors. Pastors have been contacting me and asking me, what would you do? Open or stay closed? And it's a tough decision because congregations are divided. But I will tell you, and I've been very honest with those to whom I've spoken, but i got to be honest with you. This is making me, I would have probably, probably worked with some kind of a compliance if I were still pastoring a church. But I got to tell you, this is—I think it's going over the line. 
And these guys, I know there's people that from the get-go just wouldn't, you know, close their churches. I understand that, and I respect that. This is a tough, tough deal for churches. But I got to believe, and I don't want to believe this, but I have to believe this. Looking at all of the evidence, there are governors out there that they have at least a parallel agenda. At least, at best. And this is an opportunity to drive back those people with whom they disagree. And boy, Bob Ferguson's not the governor, but he wants to be. But I will tell you, I've seen this again and again. And I've seen it all across this nation where there's far-left, agenda-driven elected officials who are acting, I don't think, in the best interest. That's my opinion. But boy... What are they trying to do? Well, it, it comes back every time. Hillary was laughing and talking about it this week with the media. She said, well, you know, as they say, with, that, with her big smile, she said, I'm quoting her, we can't let a crisis go to waste. At one time, they were kind of denying that they believed it. Now, it's kind of a badge we don't want to let this crisis go to we, we can achieve things for the progressive, the secular progressive agenda that we could never have achieved had this crisis, this pandemic, not settled itself on America and the world. But we're talking about our country. That's why I'm bothered in my spirit, and I pray about this every day, and I ask God to intervene. And, boy, if I were God, I'll tell you what, I. but <laughs> thankfully... <laughs> It's bothersome. It's really bothersome. And it continues. I'm not saying that Republican governors are all way out on the right, but there is a distinct difference in the way they approach this. There is. And if you pay attention to it, and I think many of you are, I am, you see the difference. It's all, I will tell you when I think your church can assemble. I'll tell you when I think groups of any kind can assemble, but the focus seems to be more harsh toward the church. Because the church, Karl Marx said it, I mean, he he said the church is the last real blockade to fully blown cultural Marxism. He didn't use that term, but Marxism in its cultural application. And of course it is. The church is the restraint. The Holy Spirit living in the lives of believers is the restraint to sin and violence and corruption in the world. It would be far worse if the Christians weren't living here. Because the Holy Spirit of God living in the believer is the resistance to the darkness and the evil in our world. So that's where we are on that today. I got a note from... Maureen Richardson, the state director for Concerned Women for America of Washington, yesterday. It was a general one. It wasn't specifically to me, but I'm on her list. And she was reminding everybody, if you have not already signed Referendum 90 in Washington State, now some of you are not in Washington State, I know, and thank you for listening. But if you haven't signed the Washington State Referendum 90, you can call this number, It's the Parents for Safe Schools. That's the organization that's heading this up, this referendum effort. They need to have um, the names in. by, And they have over half, but 
they're not close to the number yet, at least as far as what they're reporting that I saw yesterday. But it gives voters the opportunity to to reject this new sex ed law. And so it, the organization is Parents for Safe Schools. They have an office in Kirkland, but they have a, a message line. You can call this message line and, and give them your information, give them your address, and they'll send you a, a form to sign to get your name on this referendum. Their number is uh, area code 253-260-3642. You can call them and, as I said, give them your information. It's a message line. I don't know if there's anyone on it, but it's recorded. You can leave a message, tell them your name, your address. They'll send you a some kind of a, a form. You can sign it, and, and you're, you've signed on to the referendum. So be sure to do that. June 10 is the deadline on that. Washington Education, Seattle Times says today, probably will not resume in the fall as it has been in the past. They're looking at all kinds of possibilities for that. Prior to the election of 1800, 1800, when Jefferson became president, the Democratic Republicans, that's what they were called then, that particular party, they took control of Congress. The transition of power from one president to another was anything but peaceful in those days. From what is called the Revolution of 1800 to present, the power of the presidency has been peacefully passed. I want to take just a moment to tell you what happened in 1800. What was this revolution about? There's detail. We could talk for hours about it. I'm going to talk for a couple of minutes about it. But we're only now learning that the Obama administration was deeply involved in trying to muddy up and mess up the transition of an un- incoming president until in 2016. So from 1800 to 2016, it was a peaceful passing of the power of the most powerful office in the world, humanly, the president of the United States of America, because America is the most powerful nation, the most influential, and the most prosperous and rich nation in the world. And those who deny that are living in la-la land. They, they, they don't have a clue or they just don't care about the truth. I mean, it is. Whether they like it or not, it is. And it is so because God has blessed America. Without God's blessing, we would not be the America that we know today. Without godly, godly founders, America would never have been founded on the principles of Judeo-Christianity, biblical principles. And those biblical principles moved America from becoming a new nation that won a revolutionary war that no one on planet Earth thought they could win against the, the strongest standing army in the world at that time, the British Army. They won the war, farmers and kids and preachers and all of the people that were out there in their jeans and whatever, fighting this war. And it was called ragtag by even historians of that time. But they were determined, and they were acting on conviction. Would have never won that war, ever, had not the divine intervention of God prevailed. God blessed them. 
because God purposed that America would be born for his purposes, because God is in control of all things, all the time. So I want to leave you with some thoughts on that today, but I wanted to say thank you so much for your support of this ministry. It is absolutely necessary. The bills come every month, and we are meeting them because of your generosity and your giving, and your standing with us. So thank you. We need your support, and we thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you for it. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Well, America kind of moved from bullets to ballots in 1800. First ever peaceful transition to power after bitterly contested popular elections. It was fought out by principled partisans. That took place in America in what I, as I said, the Revolution of 1800. It's called that by many historians. Both the Democrat Republicans and their opponents, the Federal Federalist Party, they believed that their fundamental principles of democracy were at stake in the conflict between the two parties. That's politics. They always believe that. One party always believes that their you know, their ideas, although the Democrats aren't putting forth any ideas really against, about Trump, they're just the only idea they have is what do we need to do? Who do we need to get in office to take this man down? I mean, they're not even it's not even veiled anymore. It used to be kind of that's what they were doing. Everybody knew it, but they didn't admit it. Now they just say we don't you know, we don't have any policies. We, we just want whoever can take down Trump. That's whom we want to nominate. It's sad. But that's where it is. But it's the same spirit that existed back prior to the 1800s and has not existed. There's always been this incredible competition politically for power, for influence. Some of it was wrongly vested. I mean, it was wrong. It was not as it seemed. But there hasn't been the chaos since the 1800 election. And that all continued. Election after election, there were bitter foes. They fought to the to the tooth and nail of the matter. But on Inauguration Day, the president that was outgoing wished the new president well, even if they didn't believe it, didn't feel it. They wished them well, and they Harry Truman was the last guy that didn't leave on a helicopter, I think, or a plane or something. Harry and Bess Truman, when he left office, the Democrat, they got in their car and drove to Missouri. To retire. And now there's a lot of fanfare and the outgoing president gets on the helicopter and is lifted away and he's gone and the new guy's in. But the 2016 election was different than that. Hillary Clinton couldn't even come out and tell those that had worked 24 hours a day for months on end to help her get elected. She couldn't even tell them that they didn't win. She was so destroyed because she thought she was inevitable. And that played out on all different levels, that Obama was involved to his ears in that all of the activities that were going on behind the scenes, and now it's all coming out. My, my point today is that Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, they, they were friends for a period of time, but they were not friends for a period of time. And John Adams had to accept his electoral defeat after his first term in office. 
But he left the White House peacefully because both Thomas Jefferson and, and John Adams, the father, there was John Quincy was his son, Adams. But both of them believed that America was more important than they were and their political agenda. And they came to that. Barack Obama does not believe that. His actions prove it. Obama's transition was designed to sabotage the incoming president. Although he's using a new kind of bullets, they're nonetheless intended to politically bring down a president. We know now that Donald Trump has been, while Donald Trump was being inaugurated on January 20, 2017, President Obama's outgoing security advisor, Susan Rice, was back at the White House, writing up her notes on the White House meeting involving President Barack Obama and top administrative officials that had taken place 15 days later. She was writing them up as though it was the conclusion of the meeting. Senator Ron Johnson, a Republican from Wisconsin, he's chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, he said this week, he said, when I first read that declassified email, and he said, my first thought was, why was it ever classified? Then he said, my next thought was, oh, we didn't witness what America was becoming so famous for, a peaceful, cooperative, well-wishing transition of power. He said, instead, we saw corruption of that transition. The transition was really designed to sabotage and really upend the new administration. It's shameful. He, Rubio, and a bunch of other guys now in Congress are starting to take action. The reason Susan Rice was in there is because probably a lawyer had told her and them that he, they better get their their back covered because there's gonna this is going to break into the open that there's been meetings of trying to subvert the president that's coming into office. So in her memo, Rice used the words three times, by the book, by the book, by the book. She said the president said, do everything by the book. And all of this was in relationship to Michael Flynn, the guy that they wanted to bring down. They wanted to bring him down because he had actually worked under the Obama administration at one time in security because he's a kind of a national hero kind of guy uh, and a military guy, of course. But he had gone against the administration and the deep state when a person filed against uh, Andrew McCabe with the FBI, filed a sexual harassment uh, complaint against him, and Flynn had said, yeah, I think there's something to that, while the Obama administration was covering it up. That's one of the reasons. So McCabe and some of his people at the FBI, they hated Flynn from the get-go because he told the truth. All that has come out now. Comey? Comey was sitting in there saying, yes, 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 as he always does with his self-confident look on his face. All of this was going on, and Rice was in there supposedly making notes from the meeting 15 days later, putting it in the file so they would find it later if needed, while Donald Trump was being sworn in with his hand on his mother's Bible. That's how bad this is. That's what's going on out there, and I'm, t I'm just telling you now, we don't have time to go into all of it ever on this program, <clears throat> excuse me, on this program because we don't have enough time, but it's going to come out piece by piece, and there's going to be a lot of it, and I'm, I'm simply telling you today, those of you who listen every day know that there's some continuity to this program, but we deal with the issues of the day. Today, this is in the news, and it is going to be a bigger and bigger deal because Somebody is turning on the light, and I wanted to turn on the light to all of you who listen here. We'll continue this conversation. There will be much more to talk about about this, but I will tell you, be ready, because it's, it's going to get ugly. 
this transition of power was not peaceful, as it should have been. Thank you so much for being with me today. Always a pleasure. I enjoy this time together, and I enjoy hearing from you so much, your notes. I'll see you right here tomorrow.